welcome to the Fables and Reflections podcast, where we, the, let me, I don't have my script in front of me, if you couldn't tell, uh, <laughs> listeners, <laughs> well, as, uh, let's roll with it. Uh, welcome, listeners, to, um, in theory, a podcast, if I can brain good this evening. Just little little personal stuff. This is my first full week back at work after two years on disability <laughs> uh, through some health stuff. But uh, so it is uh, uh, the 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 end of a of a hell of a week. Getting getting used to everything again. Yeah, you mean you also have school on top of that. Uh, yes, I do. Do you want to um, do you want to go ahead and retake that intro? <laughs> okay. So let's uh let's try this again, listeners. <laughs> Welcome to Fables and Reflections podcast, where we reflect on any and all of the fables of Neil Gaiman. Uh, I am your attempted host, Angela Bones Bullock, and I'm the other, for sure, host, J.D. Martin. All right. Uh, well, so this week we are covering a very interesting uh bit of of neo gamanism mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um which apparently has turned into one of your favorite overall books correct yes it has i deeply love this thing um it is a it's an odd little thing i'll go into some some detail with it um but it's ocean at the end of the lane so first off what makes ocean at the end of the lane so so odd is um Neil Gaiman is, is is married to Amanda Palmer, mm-hmm. uh, who's a musician. So she, at one point, goes off to record an album, and he, uh, Neil Gaiman tries to to tell her something before she leaves, and he's not able to. Like he's not able to find the words in the moment before she she gets on her plane. So he decides to write her a letter, but uh. So he starts writing the letters like, no, that's not, that's not it. So he's like, well, like maybe a, a, a poem or a short story. And so he starts writing, he keeps writing. And, uh, it's like, oh, this is very, it's a very long short story. Maybe it's, maybe it's a novella. He keeps writing. He's like, hmm, it's a very long novella. Is it a, I guess it's a novel. And then he realizes that, yep, it's 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 a novel. He and, accidentally uh, he, a novel. Yeah, uh, yeah, th- and that's exactly what he emails his his publisher. I seem to have accidentally written a novel. <laughs> so this, the way he describes this is um that every creation someone makes is um you there's a piece of the creator in it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, but. In terms of the other ingredients that make up the piece, you um, the the blender that makes the final product is turned higher or lower. Mm-hmm. So you know, like Lord of the Rings would probably be like a you know mid like a like a mid tier pulping with um you know very much like the being part of the greatest generation and, and living through being a World War One veteran and then seeing World War Two happen again. Um, 
all very much informed uh, Middle Earth, mm. and you can very much see, like, not necessarily one-to-one, but, like, there's uh, the bog that Golem, Sam, and Frodo go through, right? Yeah. The way that's described, mm-hmm. utterly a World War One battlefield. Right. I'll take your word so for this, it, being that I've never read The Lord of the Rings, and I never will. Well, it's well. It, it even if you watch the movie, like it's that looks kind of like a World War One battlefield, very smoky, mm-hmm. a lot of um, watery holes just everywhere, like a very windy, dry area that you can go through. Tangent, because uh, <laughs> of course, well, because of course, the way World War One worked was was trench warfare. So you had the two lines, and then you had it between no man's land. Mm-hmm. Um, and No Man's Land was just potted with artillery shells. Yeah. But then also what would happen was when they would use uh, mustard gas, it would then settle into the holes. Uh, so as well as, of course, the rain would then puddle into the hole, into the uh, artillery holes as well. Um, so it's just this very foggy, wet, muddy, dangerous place you didn't want to be. I mean, no, you know, nobody, uh, no ghosts wanted to, to drag you under and drown you, but that's a... Have you at least seen Lord of the Rings, I assume? No. Yes, yes, of course I have. Of course I have. I have. I'm, I'm a massive fantasy and fairy tale nerd. Of course I have. <laughs> uh, I, I am, I, uh, I got my friend, she called my bluff, or I called her bluff, where she's, she's never seen Lord of the Rings. And so she was like, well, I'll watch The Hobbit. Not realizing at first that that's three movies. And no, so just, send, like, no okay. just send her to watch the animated Hobbit movie from the 80s. Is it, is it, yeah, so the, Rank, the Rankin-Bass one. Mm-hmm. And um, then send her to watch the Ralph Bakshi Lord of the Rings. My, I actually have that DVD somewhere. My father bought the DVD because I guess they republished it the holiday season that fellowship came out yes uh banking on banking on uh people like my father being like oh it's out on dvd cool and just buying it look Uh, i feel like i'm in the minority in here but look that ralph bakshi lord of the rings movie is good it is uh dan dan also did a great video recently actually about that uh foldable human you yeah, should, I feel like I su- I've seen that video somewhere on my feed. I well, I may have messaged it to you. I don't know, but you should definitely check it out. I probably will now. But to circle back to the Blender allegory, uh, Neil Gaiman has stated that this book is the lowest setting that he's put a thing out into the world. In terms of, like, you can see the most, you can see bigger chunks of him in there. Yeah, because he talked, he's talked about how, like, a lot of this, so, like, let's, let's go ahead and get into, uh, like, the, the basic story, uh, we have here at the center of this book. So, uh, this book is essentially, in fact, I'll just take my paperback that I have here and I'll just read the description off the book because it's a very short description. A middle-aged man returns to his childhood home to attend a funeral. Although the house he lived in is long gone, he is drawn to the farm at the end of the road, where, when he was seven, he encountered a most remarkable girl, Letty Letty Hemstock, 
and her mother and grandmother. He hasn't thought of Letty in decades, and yet as he sits by the pond, a pond she'd claimed was an ocean, behind the ramshackle old farmhouse where she once lived, the unremembered past comes flooding back. And it is a past too strange, too frightening, too dangerous to have happened to anyone, let alone a small boy. Uh, yeah, that is the um, kind of inciting incident. And a lot and of like, um, it, a lot of, like like a, a lot of the childhood aspects that Gaiman introduces. So, um, like when we're introduced, is like the the main the the boy as I'm just gonna call him from this point out because the narrator of the story is never given a name. So he he does he doesn't does he? Did you did you not notice it, that? <laughs> it well, it never registered. Yeah, that's but yeah. Now that you say it, it's like yeah, no, he isn't. Well, because he's the narrator too, so he's not like well, my name is Charles. Yeah, it's like, like um my favorite movie of all time, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. The main character who is just credited as the girl, you never know her name, the vampire. Mm-hmm. You never know her name. She is just there and you never you ne- but you never have to know her name and that's the point it's like so it's, with the story it's like you don't really need to know the boy's name and in my mind the boy's name is neil because because like because yeah. like, the thing is like he's talked about how when he was younger so um th- i would say like the major inciting incident for um the events occurring when the boy uh was the boy when he was seven years old the the, the inciting incident was um, a lodger who was a uh, a South African miner uh, comes to like live in live in the like rent a room in the family home, and when he gets there, the taxi that he's in uh, kill hits and kills the boy's cat named Fl- mm. affectionately named Fluffy, and yeah. before th- and uh, when the boy gets home, the miner says. It's all taken care of. I've buried the body. Got you a new cat. And the cat is a hateful yeah. little thing. And Which is like, no, not even little. He just got like a, a this, tomcat yeah. from a dumpster. Pretty much. Like, uh, I forgot what they named the cat. But he was like a hateful uh, little thing that the like that just did not did not like anybody. But eventually, like uh, after a few I think I, I think like, Monster. Monster, that's right. Um Eventually, after after like a few days or a week, the boy notices that his father's car is not in the driveway, but his father's home. And uh, mm-hmm. so they phone the police, and lo and behold, the the car is you know like down the lane, and in like off on this off the side of the road. And it turns out that the lodger stole the car and committed suicide. Yeah, he stuck a uh, stuck a, a garden hose in the tailpipe and put it through. Apparently, he had like, well, not embezzled, but like gambled away the money he was supposed to invest from his friends. Yeah. Uh, so he was like totally broke. And um, all of that, and and like, so everything I just said up to that point actually yeah. happened to Neil when he was seven years old, yeah, including exactly. what he reveals before that. What happened? What happened was his seventh birthday party. When he, uh, when no one showed up and he was, and like, so, uh, it's it's become known to him as the horrible birthday because no one showed up. It was just him there with his parents, his younger sister and her sister and his sister's friend who were there as spectators. Yeah. yeah, They weren't even invited. 
Yeah, yeah, his his sister and her friend, I love, yeah, because that's how he described it exactly in the book, where it's just like, they were only technically there, like, they were in the house, not at the party, like. Yeah, I'm just like, just very, geez. Just very, like, there, uh, yeah, God, Neil Gaiman is such a master at the mind of a child. Yeah. It's, in terms of stuff like that, where it's just like, it's, it's small things where it's, a lot of like the bigger heavier stuff is like okay this is a you know this is a a human a person going through these things but then there's like little small things that like only children do which is like yeah like okay i have a birthday party that my parents threw for whatever reason none none of my classmates like because he doesn't really describe them as friends i don't yeah think. he i don't even know if he describes them as acquaintances they're just his classmates and yeah. he even says like i want like like i don't know why i thought they would show up they like i wasn't friends with any of them so why would they show up there was no reason for them to yeah it's like that's what and that's also why like you'll uh you'll see in um like movies kind of show the uh implications where it's just like He's like, I don't want to go. I'm not friends with that weirdo. He reads books. And it's like, you are invited. You're not going to be rude. And, and none of that happened. Which I, I think, yeah, no, that didn't happen here. But also, I feel like that would maybe be worse. Because, like, he just grabs cake and grabs his, uh, I think, Thor comic that he gets. I, th- I think he gets he the got. Chronicles of Narnia books. Which also happened no, to Neil. No, he as- does. That, that also yeah, that yeah, happened to Neil as a child. Like, like. I remember watching um, a video. It was like he was asked like the three books that changed his life, and the first thing he said was, "Was getting the Chronicles of Narnia books." It was yeah. just that series, in particular, the first two, the the Lion, the Witch, and the Road, Wardrobe, and the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, was like life. That those were like the books when he was younger that changed his life because he, like, those were the books that he read when he, that he realized like, oh, writing is like a job. Like, you can, like, do that for a living, and it seems like, and, like, reading these stories makes it seem like writing is the most fun thing in the world. Right. So the, um, and yeah, in terms of, like, a lot of the books he, he, that, that's listed, um, because the, the, the boy, the narrator is, um, is a big reader as a child. And so, like, yeah, like, everything listed that, that's mentioned in that book, uh, that the narrator is, that the boy reads like I've recalled Gaiman talking about that. Like, yeah, he he read that as a kid. Yeah, he um, it mostly just like everything sort of around the boy is directly taken from Neil's own childhood, uh, mm-hmm. with the exception of like I I don't believe he had has a younger sister. I'm be, I'm not sure if his siblings. or or even if he even if, if he, he does like his sister didn't act like that like that was completely yeah. fictional the way the parents act are completely fictional the Hemstock family is completely fictional which we're, we're going to get into uh, yeah, yeah because yeah they're they're about to make their entrance yeah in fact we <laughs> let, we can go ahead and mention that right now um, because when uh, the boy and his father go down to see the car like they like like his father like shields uh, or. The boy is like, oh, my comic is in the backseat of the car. I want to get it real quick. And before they can stop him, he opens the car and just sees the miner's dead body in the back yeah, of the just... in the backseat of the car sitting. And he in like he like in the narration, like the narrator, he talks about like thinking back on it, like, 
I wasn't even registering that the miner was dead. I was just thinking about my comic because that's like, mm. I was a child that was like, I had a one track mind. That was what I was thinking about. And I was thinking about like, yeah. you know, did he read it? Did he tear it up? Is he sitting on it? Is it all crumpled up? These are all the thoughts that are running in the mind of a child and not registering the fact that there's a dead body right in front of him. And that was like the secondary thought. Uh, so then the, the adults finally like are able to get him away. And they're like, you know, well, like, we need you, the car owner, to stay here and talk about this, you know, like, so is yeah. there a way you can well, send the boy back home? And then a young girl yeah, pops like, up. Because it's, it's like, a, at the end of the lane is, like, nearly a mile away from his house. Yeah. And, like, the house, and, um, and, and the house he's about yeah. to be taken to is at the end of the lane. Uh, mm. So this young girl pops up and she's like, he can come with me. If that's cool. And his dad's like, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Go with this young girl I've never seen before. Uh, because this is, a, you know, a small British village. So, you know, they don't, that that's not like, you know, a, you know, a young girl he's never seen before. Not really a strange thing. So he goes with this girl and he learns that she's this 11 year old girl named Lady Hemstock. And she lives with her mother and grandmother. And her mother is known as Mrs. Hemstock, uh, who we later find out her first name. And I completely blanking on it. Uh, yeah, it's like it's it's only mentioned once, maybe twice. Well, it's, it's mentioned it's mentioned later in the book, and then uh, she will continue like like because once he once he learns her name, he he will he continues to use it later. Mm. It's just for some reason it's out of my head, um, kind of like how it's out out of uh, the narrator's head by the end of this book. Anyway, yeah. But and then we also meet the grandmother, who is only ever known as. Old Mrs. Hemstock, who is the greatest. I love old Mrs. Hemstock. Oh. She is the she is the best. Jenny. Jenny Hemstock. That's right, Jenny. For some reason, honestly, I had Angela in my head, and I don't. And I and honestly, for love of me, can't. Don't know why. I really don't. Uh, as a as another Neil Gaiman uh creation, although a lot, lot weirder history there, that have been covered by more well-researched people than <laughs> than i in terms of that just utter shit show of a legal battle yeah so he goes to their farmhouse they live on a little farm at the end of the lane um one of the first things that she shows him is her pond or like he it seems like a, it looks like a pond but she's like well that's my ocean and he's like what that's a pond and she's like, no, it's not. That's the ocean we came across from the old country. Uh, and he's just like, okay. Apparently, <laughs> so Mrs. Hemstock is like, the old country burned away. And I was like, well, that's weird. And I was like, but then old Mrs. Hemstock is like, no, 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 no. The old country, this is Letty telling the narrator all this. But old Mrs. Hemstock apparently says uh, that the old old country the true old country didn't burn away it blew up <laughs> yeah and the, the old the the old country that they're thinking of uh is actually was built on top of the really old country where mm. mrs in the, where old mrs Hempstock, which she remembers uh so i just want to uh, in terms of building off of the teaser from from the last episode uh the sandman episode um we he, I, well, I talked about how the the one of the characters in Volume One makes an appearance here, 
Um, and that's the uh, that that's the 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 three in one the fates that uh, Morpheus calls uh, in what issue what four something like that uh, three? issue two yeah oh, yeah two yeah two because that's the, he calls upon them using it the letters set- from Cain and Abel yeah it sets up the and it also sets up the rest of the show but it but the rest of so at the very very end because the the framing device as you described is he. The narrator, as an adult, goes back uh, to his hometown uh, and ends up uh, for his for I believe his father's funeral, and he ends. They up never mention the... like who's like like who the funeral is actually for. Yes, I always assumed it was his father, maybe because like that's the central parental figure. His mom's not talked about much. Yeah, not um, very often. That's why, like. Um, We'll get into this later, uh, like like later later in the episode of like, I have an idea for for like how this how this could be turned into a movie. Uh, I cannot for the yep. life of me think of like who would play play the mother. I have a couple ideas who could play the father because the father is a much more prevalent figure in in the telling of the story. Oh, so what they with the um one last thing in terms of what I love uh before we get any further, um the. We're talking about like getting a kid's thought process mm-hmm. when he describes his father the way his father makes toast. They get uh, they get very heavy dark bread. Yeah, like, from like it's actually from like the from a bakery. Yeah, and so he it's and his dad also uh puts it under the oven to make it so the toast is always burnt. Which, whenever I make garlic bread, I, I almost always do that. It is it is literally like a two-second window from good to burnt. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's well, because you're putting it directly over a flame. Well, no, it's not even that. It's it's literally like if you if you sit there and watch it cook, it like it's it's weird. But it, it, anyway. That's why you're not supposed uh, to do the, it, Angela. Well... Neil Gaiman is telling you in this because book to not do it. He's telling you directly, as the narrator, from the perspective of a boy, is telling you that bread is supposed to come in, like, white quote, squares. This, yeah. In yeah, a loaf. This is, yeah, this is the... I, I wrote it down. This is the exact quote. Toast, proper bread, was white and pre-sliced and tasted like almost nothing. That was the point. <laughs> And it is. And it, it kind of is. Sometimes it kind of is. It's like when you're when you're a kid, bread isn't supposed to taste like anything. It's just supposed to be the thing that you that you put the meat and the cheese and the vegetables and the condiment on in between. There, like that is not the main course. That is just the holder. You know, it's like it's gonna be very difficult to hold your meat and your cheese and your vegetables and your condiment all together with the bread on either side. It helps. And that's all you're thinking about when you're a kid. It's not until you get older and you realize, like, oh, there's, like, 15 billion types of bread. And I can use all of them to make 15 billion types of sandwiches. Hell yeah. Pumpernickel with, uh, toasted with ham and cheese and a little bit of Dijon. I've never had pumpernickel. And in fact, I'm trying to th- I'm trying to think of, like, how many types of bread I've actually had. And I, I have had shockingly little types of bread yeah my choice of bread is in fact the bread that is that is the choice of the child in this book it is 
white and pre-sliced and comes in plastic. That is the bread I get. Which, I, so, I, I mean, I do love pre-sliced bread. It's great. What, so, to, of course, because uh, racism ruins everything, apparently the reason white bread became a thing Oh no! was the fresh... Well, okay, I'd say racist. Xenophobic? Not much better. Slightly? I don't know. Neither are good. I mean, they're not great. This but look. Let's like just let's just get this up out prevalent. of the way. This podcast stands firmly against racism and xenophobia. If you are a racist or a xenophobic, get the fuck out of here. You don't belong in this party. Yes, uh, and also, you ruined bread because the tasty varieties we have been discussing fell slightly out of popularity from local bakers because they were because like the the way flour was made was like so there was a not insignificant number of uh, illnesses tied to d- dirty bread essentially so white pre-sliced bread comes along and the way they advertise it essentially is like look it's it's clean and white and pure like see it's pure flour because oh, you can't you know there's no you, you know there's no dirt or anything in here like you know like dirt is hiding in pumpernickel bread um <sighs> you ruined white bread for me fuck and i have i literally have a half a loaf of white bread i'm looking at it right now oh no I have and and, and just hearing that makes the- me want to throw it in the trash and go get a nice <laughs> a nice loaf of rye bread Ooh, rye bread actually, uh, yeah, or, so or like a like, nice loaf of sourdough. Mm. Uh, yeah. Sourdough bread is the shit. Uh, yeah, it is. I I uh, recently did dipped it in a little little bit of milk, fried it in olive oil, or like toasted in olive oil Ooh. and drizzled honey. It was really Ooh. good. Yeah, I love actually one of my favorite things about the grocery store that I work at, which I will not disclose, uh, at least uh, on 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 a public platform. All I'll, all I'm gonna say, I won't say the name of it. All I'll just say is it is a Texas based grocery store. Uh, and the name is initials. I'm not going to directly say what it is, but people who are from Texas know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, but I work in the deli, and of course, right next door, right next to the deli is the bakery. So I get to smell all that nice, all that nice fresh bread. And what's great is that they will, that like, they actually like will make loaves of pumpernickel and rye and sourdough, and they slice it up and package it up, and I'm just like. That's the good shit right there. So now, Angela, when I go back to work on Monday, I'm just going to be, I'm going to, on my way out the door, I'm going to throw out my, my half a loaf of white bread and go buy myself a loaf of pumpernickel. Thanks a lot. Uh, I do need to get proper sandwich ingredients myself. Uh, I do too. I need to get new, I need to get new condiments because right now I just got like, I got plain old mustard and you know, I need, I need something, I need something Something, something different, something spicier. Uh, this, this is this is now a podcast about sandwiches. And hey, look, you know I'm not complaining. I love a good sandwich podcast. <laughs> Moving so, on. Yeah. So he he, the the narrator meets the Hemstocks. He has a wonderful afternoon until his dad finishes with the police officer and they go back home. His family, of course, sells the uh, car that the guy. And I uh, don't blame them. One bit. Oh, absolutely not. I would do the same thing. I'd be like, "Nope, this car is now haunted, 
and uh in fact i will just like donate it to the dump i will t- i will just i will take the l on this one it's uh well no, i don't know you get the cash you know don't disclose uh, that it's hey look houses and cars don't have the same rules i don't have to i don't have to disclose that the car is like there's a 50 50 chance this car is haunted and i don't have to disclose that yeah but i think houses it's only five years usually I I also six... believe there are also there are also certain states that don't require require it as well. I know in Texas it you they, you know realtors are required to let a a potential buyer know that the ho- that the house they're renting or buying is haunted. I know there are a couple states. I feel like Massachusetts is a state that Wait, is the wording haunted or a murder happened there? Some states are some states the- no. Some states will actually say say the house is haunted, or it is like considered, <laughs> or it is considered haunted. Others, you actually have to disclose a murder happened. Uh, and now take what I'm about to say with a grain of salt, but I believe Massachusetts is one of the states that does not require realtors to say that the house uh, that a murder took place in the house. And I'm le- and the reason I say take a grain of salt with that was because i learned it from the haunting of hill house uh yeah so take that with so I, i'm going to assume it's true but also take it with a grain of salt cat why are you why are you doing this and one of angela's children is just just gotta get it all up in our business right now he was he was rubbing his cheek on the webcam Good for you. Uh, good for was, you, child. I, I was also just letting him. I was also just letting him do. Yeah, it. Yeah, good for you, child. Least. Live your life. It's okay. <laughs> Neil would be proud of you. So the uh, a little bit of time passes, and then like weird coins start showing up. So like this is where the like autobiographical ends and the fantastical begins. Yeah, because uh, one night the boy wakes up and he feels he start, he's choking on something, and he reaches a thing his finger back into his throat and like into his mouth and and reaches a finger back to it to the 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 start of the beginning of his throat and he feels something hard and kind of he's metallic like, he's like coughing really yeah he's like coughing and like you know just feels this thing in his throat and he reaches back and he eventually and is he able pulls to pulls out a coin yeah he he's able to pull it out and it's a coin and uh and then like the next day the next morning uh he he wakes up and goes outside and to go like find a tree and read read in it and go like climb a tree and read and his sister and her friends are outside and she comes up to him and accuses him of throwing coins at them from the bushes and he's baffled he's like no i wasn't doing like i i wasn't doing that and she's like, I know you did it, and and just like walks away, without letting him oh, trying to explain. Try to explain. Uh, another weird thing about the coins is they're all from like the twenties. Yeah, because uh, like he takes the coin to the Hemstock farm, and old Mrs. Hemstock like she like looks at it and and like tastes it, and she, and, and 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 she's like, I mean, this coin says it's from the twenties, but it's brand new. Like it, 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 it did not exist. Yes, it did not exist yesterday. So you know, so she's like, yeah, something is like something is, and Letty and Letty starts to try explain it to the boy, saying like, something is here, and it thinks that, and it's it is trying to give people what what they want, and 
you know, it thinks that people will just want money and people will be happy with money. So it's, but it's going about it in the wrong way. So yeah, Letty says that she will go take care of this thing that's happening and take care of this entity that is doing this. It's apparently like they, they, they do this all the time. Yeah, this is, this uh, is a normal thing. That's why they're letting Letty, that's why they're okay with uh, Letty, who is quote unquote 11 years old. Uh, that's yeah, why they're which, letting her do it. I, lo- I love when the narrator, when the boy is just like, he's like, so how old are you? 11. How long have you been 11? It's, yeah, yeah, she like thinks for a second. It's like, how long have you been 11? <laughs> and she and never she answers. smiles, never answers. And it's like, you know, yeah. like, because then like they bring up later in the story of like, of, you know, past event of like past events that happened hundreds of years ago. So it's like, you know, that Letty and, and her mother and her grandmother have been around for like, I mean, old Mrs. Hemstock is has been around for like thousands of years at this point. She's old as hell. Yeah. It's, I'm trying to see. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Specifically the two main ones that they reference are Cromwell and Red Rufus. Cromwell, I, I think was the English civil war. Uh, so that would have been the, like 1670s uh and then i wrote down red rufus is william the third uh he's the grandson of william the conqueror when for reference william the conqueror conquered england in 1066 mm-hmm. so uh, yeah they're referencing things a long time ago uh so i we're <laughs> probably the most uh well we're getting close to the to the chapter i probably dislike the most um so you have so they they go to the creature and it's described by the narrator as this like floating gr- old rotted moldy gray sheets just kind of flapping around in the wind like kind of forming a body and a face uh like a suggestion yeah and letty is just speaking to this thing like it's like it's a small child that has done a, that has in the wrong place. Just like yeah. get on out of here. You don't need like there's nothing here for you. You're not doing what you th- like. You're you're doing. You're not doing what you think you're doing. Just get on out of here. We don't need you. And but uh, very important when they when they get start getting closer and closer to the, what this entity is. Letty looks at the boy and says, "Hold my hand and never or like or like hold my arm and never let go." Like, do not let go of me for for any reason. Uh, speaking Which of children, is- my child has just come to has just come up to me. Uh, by the way, uh, so this is ac- this is actually the first record. This is the first recording um, where uh, she's made an appearance. So uh, a lot of people probably know by now that um, my 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 child cat he passed away uh, roughly a month ago, uh, and uh, earlier this week. Um, I, I, I adopted someone new. Uh, my parents had two cats and, uh, I, I, I now have one of them. Her name is Smoke and she is, uh, the most adorable thing in the world. Hello, baby. Hello. Uh, I guess let's also do, uh, take this little, little side thing to, um, remind people that we are now 
newly minted uh, members of the uh, certain POV podcast network. We are. Uh, it, we are. And as such, uh, go check out the website, certainpov.com, and share, review, subscribe the podcast. All of, all of the interaction things. Yeah. Just of all of them. Do all the things. Follow the follow the Twitter account. Uh, follow the Instagram account. Uh, go to the website. Check out all the podcast, all the great podcasts like Books That Burn, Circling Cersei, uh, The Real Movie Critic versus the Cinegai, which I was uh on not not so long ago. Another Pass, Men of Steel, Let's Rewatch, Panelology, which we've both been on. Uh, yep. all great stuff. And also uh, scroll down to that homepage and uh, come join the certain POV Discord. Both of us, especially Angela, are on it constantly. <laughs> well, probably not as much anymore with me going back to work. This is but, true. Uh, this is I'll true. I'll certainly try. The the benefits of just waiting by your phone <laughs> interaction. Yeah. Or you have me when I'm at work at, you know, midnight. And I just like, yeah. oh, I've got, I have a little bit of downtime. I'm going to quickly go through Discord and see what's going on. So... Uh, be, so to get back to the story, because plot needs to happen. Yes, plot always course, needs to happen. Uh, 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 be, uh, the boy does very momentarily let go of Letty, and he feels for a brief second, uh, uh like a pinprick on in his heel. Yeah, of his foot. So the next chapter. I mean, there are worse things that could happen for for in in in, in regards to plot happening. There are worse things that can well, happen. It, well, the, yes. And also, he's a small but child. But I'm specifically, but but I'm specifically talking about the next chapter, where the ninety percent of the chapter is the description of the narrator pulling this pink gray worm thing out of the hole in his foot which just like it's not I loved, like you I know, loved it a, I loved every bit of it oh it's oh I love the description it is wonderful and visceral but because it is vis you just you feel it just the 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 fight of just like running hot water and just pulling more and more just yeah. feeling that thing slither out of your body yeah i love it huh which which this pink gray thing that he then flushes down the sink drain i thought it was in the uh or was it the sink drain or was it the bathtub drain it, it's some drain Main thing is, the next chapter shows up as a woman named Ursula like, Monkton, or or as or as Neil Gaiman likes to say, Ursula Monkton. Yeah, it's I. What I love about the reveal is, uh, his the narrator's dad calls him down. It's like, hey, we have a, a new person. Wait, to hold take up! Over before that, before that. Mm -hmm. We have to talk about the fact why she's there, like why they why they're taking her in. It's because the mom uh, is going is actually now going into town to because she's got a new job, and because she has a new job, and you know the 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 parents. So now 
both parents will be gone for, you know, the majority of the day. Uh, they have to have someone, they have to now have a new live-in nanny, which I say new because they've had one before. Uh, I forget, I'm assuming you have her name pulled up with your, with your book out. Uh, I'm, I'm blinking uh, on her name. Uh, and they uh, were like little. Oh, Mrs. W oh, no, I, uh, well, I do. I was looking up something else. Uh, Mrs. Wallery? Wallery? W-O-L-L-E-R-Y. Okay. I know there was, uh, like, the, like there was a, f they had a first name for her. The, 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 he, he mentioned her by her first name because they, uh. Oh, I think she is, I think she's the wife of their gardener who comes by. I think that's what it is. Yeah, that's Mrs. Wallery. That, that's who that is. There's a different woman who, who, who lodged with them before and she eventually left because they were like the boy and his sister were just like awful to her. And like, they talked about like how, like they like, like held a little protest. Like they went outside with signs uh, saying like, we hate whatever her, her name is. And like, we, like, yeah. we don't like her cooking and all this. Um, oh, yeah. But, and also like Mrs. But like, yeah, like Mrs. Wallery is also not going to be around because like she, she's like, she's going to be out for a month uh due to uh an illness or some type of some, or like some type of surgery or something like that so they're going to have hip issues <laughs> yeah issues uh because it's the 70s um yeah or no this actually the 60s cuz uh Gamer was born in 1960 right so they're going to have this woman or they're going to have this person stay uh with them and watch the children why while both parents are are now at their day and at their day jobs and oh gertruda gertruda okay, that's what was the name yeah like, like we hate gertruda and gertruda's cooking is awful and like like they went yeah. out, we do not no it's, it's i love the wording we do not like gertruda's cooking and that's the sign not even like a slogan like we just we don't like know. like not even something yeah, yeah. clever it's just we do not like this woman's cooking yeah. And we want you to know. And then she left, like, not long after. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, then one day, uh, he, like, like, the boy is playing out in the yard, uh, like he normally does, and he's called inside uh, by his mother. And he walks in and he describes him seeing this beautiful woman in his house, and he said, and my heart hurt. Like, not metaphorically, literally my heart hurt like there was a sharp pain in my heart as soon as i saw her and at that moment yep. he realized that like this is this is this is what the worm is the worm that i pull out of my foot is now here masquerading as a woman but he doesn't say that like it, like even like to us the reader doesn't even say that yet he's alluding to it he's getting he's like just like describing his initial thoughts going on at that moment and like his sister well, is like enamored with this woman, like 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 she's introduced as Ursula Monkton, and her sister is enamored with this woman. She's just like, like she's eating, like she's chowing down on a cookie, and it's just like I love Ursula Monkton. When I grow up, I want to be Ursula Monkton, and and, Ur and Ursula is just like being the most charming person in the world, charming the pants off this mom, charming the pants off of this sister, and the boy is just like speechless like he just doesn't know what to say what are you doing right now why do you have to play with that when i'm recording child hey hey 
No, ma'am. No. Nuh-uh. Don't look at me like that. Alright, if you hear something in the background that is my child just going ham on something she found. Uh, yeah. I, I really like the description of Ursula Moncton because it's, in my opinion, classic, uh, classic gayman. Mm-hmm. Because it's very, it's subtle, but also very much gets to the point. The line that you kind of realize what's going on is, I mean, it, it keeps going on, but it's just, it's just one line. I just looked at her, all grown up and blonde, in her gray and pink skirt, and I was scared. Mm. Uh, then the next paragraph is, her dress wasn't ragged. It was just the fashion of the thing, I suppose. The kind of dress it was. But when I looked at her, I imagined her dress flapping in the windless kitchen, flapping like the mainsail of a ship on a lonely ocean under an orange sky. Yeah, that was the, the moment. The it was, was that line to. right there of, like, mentioning, like, gray, gray flapping in the wind under an orange sky. That was the moment I realized, like, oh, oh, I know what's going on now. I know who she is. Yeah, because uh, we didn't say it, but yeah, the the, the sp- the edge of reality or edge of between two realities that they went uh what had an orange sky yeah so to kind of skim over like the the next events essentially uh ursula like while the mom is gone ursula is told by the mom like you know don't let them like don't let them leave like leave the grounds they can they can play around the yard but they can't leave uh and you know and make sure they eat and and the boy is absolutely terrified. He's like, crap, I like I I let go of Letty's hand and this is what happens. Like she's here and I don't know what she's going to do. Is she here to kill me? Is she here to take me away? You know, what is she here to actually do? I don't know. Well, All I know is it's, it's bad. Yeah. And well he also like the reason the stay at home thing is such a problem because he's like, Oh shit, I gotta go back to Letty and let them know what's going on. Because I have a child and can't use the phone. <laughs> yeah, because he does try actually, no, at one point. Well, actually, no. Yeah, no, he does. And then, like, I don't, even, I don't even, I know it's kind of a trope, but, like, when he does dial, like, Ursula Moncton's voice comes over the phone. Like, like nah. Like, 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 little boys who are supposed to stay in their room aren't, aren't supposed, or, like, little boys who, you know, like, stay in their room aren't supposed to be on the phone. He immediately, like slams the phone down and goes back to his room because at that point like she she made him go back into the house because he did try to sneak off initially like he like when she wasn't looking like he took like all this fruit out of the the kitchen and then went to what he called his laboratory which is this garden shed where he has his chemistry set uh from his parents because it's like like they, they don't blowing up his room yeah like like he uh like like he 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 like concocted something that smelled terrible they're like we don't care what you do just make sure it's like out of smelling distance from the house at least so he takes all this like fruit back to the laboratory and then tries to sneak out of that and then like goes along the wall and then all of a sudden ursula moncton is there like that yeah yeah it seems to be like within the bounds of the house she has like an omniscience Almost. Yeah, she's omnipresent. She is always like whenever. Yeah. Well, maybe that's a better word is omnipresent because we do see her attention slip a little bit later because like. And we'll get to that. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah. 
because the next big chunk of the book is is just it's just him trying to figure out like okay like how am i gonna childhood yeah like yeah so like childhood escape shenanigans he so he keeps trying that and the most successful part that he has uh, unless you wanted to cover any more of this i I feel like because it's there is one more thing I want to yeah. get to before we get to why she is distracted and and how he's successful in getting out. <laughs> and it's the dinner scene and what happened and the ensuing events following the dinner scene. So because yeah. this uh, well, yeah, because yeah, yeah. the boy knows who Ursula Moncton actually is, he is terrified of eating whatever she makes, and she has made food that he loves like like they like this already happened in the uh, in the previous evening when like they like he's describing the food that she made and it's actually like his favorite food and he's like this is my favorite but she made it and i'm uh, i'm genuinely terrified to eat this because it might be poisoned and you know like what wh- i don't know what's going to happen so i'm not going to eat it and he doesn't uh and then the next night his mom isn't there to like kind of mediate and so Ursula has like kind of gotten her her claws into into the father and he and like the father like the father like gets extremely angry at this because the boy's like no like I'm that, not that eating because eat. like she yeah. like she is not human and I don't know what she made what what this is but it is not food and it's poison I am not eating it and he straight up tells that like says that out loud before he can even stop himself. And then when the father hears that, he's like, that's it. We're not doing that. Like, like you must apologize to her. And like, Ur- and like he can, he like Ursula's like, Oh no, it's fine. And like the boy looks over and he sees like, like the, the beginning of a smile on the edge of her, of her lip, of her lips, as he says. Um, and before the father can even get up, he bolts out of the kitchen up, th- up the stairs not even to get to his room, but just like the one room in the house that he knows has a lock, the bathroom. And he gets in the bathroom, yep. and the father doesn't even run. He just he just walks up to the bathroom, bangs on the door, and says, "If you don't let this, if you don't open this door and apologize to her, I will come through this door." And was like, "Wait, will he actually do that? Will my father actually do that?" Sure enough, he does, and then he grabs the boy, turns on the bathtub, and then when it fills up to a certain point, attempts to drown the boy. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, just yeah, dunks him. He uh, so was it the the way it's described? Like the he knows what's happening pretty fast, or not pretty fast? Like he got a he could see it building up. Yeah, and and he the way he grabs his tie or something yeah and and I, I i love the the part about him about him and talking about how the thing that didn't that con, what, like the fact that he was being drowned by his father was not his first concern though his first concern was the fact that this is like he's like what was the fact that this was like this was events being taken out of order like the fact that he still had his clothes on and he was going to the bathtub and that was his first yep. thought. And it's like, this is like, that part is wrong. And then eventually it registered with him like, oh, I'm about to die by being drowned by my own father. And so he reached for the one thing that was dangling. And that was his father's tie. And he like grabs it with his teeth and eventually is able to like pull it enough to gra- and like, and like able to like get away from his father and like grab, grab a hold of it and pull himself out of the tub. 
And then his father is just like, no, nah, I'm leaving. And he just, and he just gets out of the room still angry. And yeah, the sister is just like, what's going on? Why is he wet? Why is dad angry? What's going on? And like, just nothing's registering with her. Like Ursula, it, it seems like it, it, it most likely like it's, it's like a combination of child, like, a ch- like, you know, a, a small child being ignorant of these, of these, you know, very scary things uh, coupled with, uh, Urs- maybe like Ursula's suggestions being planted within her kind of like how she, what she's what she's most likely doing with the father as well yeah is it well yeah i know i think that that yeah there's the supernatural element definitely with the dad because he acts like nothing happens just yeah he just leaves doesn't register to him but specifically with his little sister i just her age like is a weird transition period between because it doesn't specifically say her age at any point does it no but like he's like he's he's seven so she has to be like probably like four or five yeah at at max six yeah but that so that's a, a kind of transition between um what is called the if i'm remembering last semester correctly the concrete operational stage i i may be getting the name wrong but i know that there's a section where it's like there's a a section of childhood where literally the way your brain processes information like if you tell a child that their mother is also their grandmother's daughter it won't register because like well no she can't be grandma's daughter she's my mom like you you know you know what i'm saying yeah and this and so yeah like and and that's partially also why he's like well i'm in the bathtub with my clothes on that's weird like that's not what's supposed to happen yeah and i also feel like yeah and i I feel like that uh, that that kind of feeds into and feeds into it with uh the sister and ursula and it's like well ursula is nice to me she can't be you know like you know terrible to like she is like she exactly. knows that like like just like she can't be terrible to my brother it has to be my brother it has to be my brother's fault because exactly. Ursula is so nice why would you know like why would you know it's like oh it must be that my brother is my brother is being bad and so the boy eventually just like like goes to his room and and sits and like you know like ha- has like there's a there's like a fire like a like a wood burning heater in the room in like in the bedroom in this children's bedroom uh and the sister like like that that was originally just the sister's room and eventually became both of their rooms because the room that where the lodgers live is used to be the boy's room and yes uh, the sister isn't in there. She like, you know, she like, she starts gloating. Like I get to watch the TV and I get to choose whatever I get to watch. And the boy's just like, I don't care. My father just tried to kill me. Uh, so he like gets, he, uh, he, you know, he, he like basically like air dries himself essentially next to the stove, changes clothes. And, and he's like, okay, I have to get out of this house. No matter what, I have to get out of here. And he starts, and like, he's been talking about, 
a lot of the like the 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 adventure the children's adventure books that he's been reading um a, a lot of them also uh it is his mother read when she was when she was younger and one of the things that they talk about is uh like climbing down a drain pipe to escape out of, out of a room uh from a, from from a high level and because he's on the second story of this house, that's what he does, is he climbs down the stream by. Yep. The only problem is, is that the way he's supposed to climb down, it's going to pass right by this window uh, that uh, um, that is that uh, looks into a room where the father, the sister, and Ursula are going to be, like the TV room. Yeah. So he has to, like, jump down and get out of the way. And then he looks in the window. He doesn't see his sister. I, is it? Is I, in my head? I think the reason he uses that path is because it's going towards not the TV room because he hears that on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to like the like living room, essentially, like the den, like the yeah, where the, room sis- with where the sister won't without be. the TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, or like any of them, he assumes, because yeah. like, okay, they're watching TV, so let me go past this. So he does, gets down, and then glances in the room, and uh, his dad's uh, uh, going, going through Ursula's back door. <laughs> sex. They're having sex. Uh, yes. In the, in the, like... My child is distracted in the TV in the other room, so just lift up your skirt and I'll barely pull down my pants. Pretty much, and that and like that's what he's seeing. He's like, I don't like. I was like, I don't really know why this is happening, but like he's like, but something is wrong here, and he's like, but he's like, but yeah. he doesn't give it too much thought. He's like, they're distracted. Most importantly, Ursula is distracted. I'm getting out of here, yeah. and so he yeah, just I'm, takes I'm off. It. Yeah, he just takes off. Yeah. He starts running. And he's running, and, and and he starts running down the lane, and then a car starts coming, and he's and he, at first he thinks it's his father, so he gets in the ditch, and, and it passes by, and he's like, no, it's not them, and then he thinks like, well, if I keep going down the lane, like there's more of a, there's more of a chance they're going to find me, so he starts running through the fields, but the problem is, is that once he runs through the fields, he doesn't know which field is which, and he gets lost, and he doesn't know what's going on. And there's a and there's a storm going on, so it's raining. There's thunder and lightning, and he's getting confused and he's scared. And so eventually, he comes to this fence, and and he looks at like there's no barbed wire. I'm gonna go through it. He touches it, and it's an electrical fence, and he gets shocked. Yeah, those uh, well, I think the ambush is different for cows. But I can tell you, a horse electrical fence will will knock you on your ass. And 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 this is a seven year old child, so yeah, he gets he definitely gets knocked on his ass, and he's I, dazed. Uh, <laughs> I I just remembered this um oh no story. Well, it's there was this uh it was a young adult thing that um a a my middle school English teacher was reading to us during class, and there was it's the, the premise is, is this city boy. Uh, he, he has to go into foster care, mm-hmm. and so they send him to his country cousins. And his co- his country cousin, who's his age, uh, essentially cock blocks him uh, in terms of ruining his chance with a girl. And so to get back at him, he then like dares him to pee on the on the cow fence. Oh no! And he's like, 
He's like, no, he's like, yeah, like it'll be fine. Like, yeah, just, you know, just peel the cow fence. Fully knowing what you is know, about with, to go down. Oh yeah, it, you know, all those all those minerals suspended in liquid make for a very great conductor. <sighs> and so yeah, his dick then just gets zapped, and he just runs around the field, just screaming, holding his crotch. That's incredible. Oh god! Oh god! That's incredible and also terrible. <laughs> Uh, it's a fictional book, but yeah, it's just the the. It's like half a chapter of description. It's pretty great. Yeah, it stuck with me since middle school. Yep. So then Ursula shows up. She's just there, and she's telling. She, uh, well, I well key point floating. Yeah, she yeah she's floating there, uh, and this kind of like r- like really confirms in his head like yep for sure this is definitely who I thought it was. Um, and yep. then something we actually totally forgot to mention about, about his and Letty's journey is that while he was on that journey, he meets a small black kitten that is just, yeah, that, in that, terms like, of that, in like, the other, it like burrows out of the plucks, ground. Yeah. Like he plucks, it's like, it's like a potato. <laughs> he plucks her out of the ground. I'm a potato. At, <laughs> I love that meme, especially the full one or a semi full one with the corgi where, Dude, it's like it was like you know you hear the thing it's like I'm a potato, and it's there he's in the potato costume, <laughs> and, and because the full the full clip is yeah it's like you're a tomato, but 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 I, but I said I was a potato. potato. No, you're a tomato. And it's yeah, and so and then, and then the costume changes on the corgi, and he's in a and he's in a little ketchup. He's in a little ketchup. Uh, oh, it's adorable. <laughs> Look, I don't, be- I don't, I don't believe in putting any any of my children in costumes, but other people putting their furry children in costumes, I think, is actually kind of hilarious. I think it depends on when you start. Like, why? Like, I have a dog that's like twelve, and like this, that's never really been done. Yeah, so don't like, do yeah, that. Don't that do would, that to them. Don't be, do that to them. Yeah, that they don't need yeah, that. Yeah, that'd be terrible. A puppy? Yeah, they'll hate it, but like they'll get used to it. Yeah, I mean, look. The fact that my parent, that my mom, like full went went full in on uh getting a hot dog costume for her Dotson, I mean, come on, it's perfect. Like the thing is, look, those costumes were specifically meant for those dogs, so of course yeah. she did it. Yeah, you, yeah, you had to. If you get a Dotson, you have to have a you have to have a hot dog costume. She even has a little tiny statue of a of a Dotson as a hot dog, and it's adorable. She has a lot of dots and things, a lot. Like she even like even on her car, you know, like how people have those stick figure family stickers on their cars. She has one that has like a giant Dotsing chasing after the family. It says, "My Dotson ate your stick figure family." My mom is full in on being a Dotson mom. I think I have uh, four cat theme mugs at this point. Right now, the only mugs that I have. I have I have a I have a small little daredevil one that is actually like in the shape of Daredevil's head. I have a Darth Vader Yoda mug, a little tiny red mug that I know Angela has seen that I usually drink tea out of because it's a beautiful little red mug. It has this it has this amazing uh like blue and white pattern in, on the inside. And then I have the knives out mug. Uh you know, my, yeah, my like my coffee, my house, my rules, or like my yeah. rules, my coffee, like my house, my coffee. Even though I don't drink coffee, yeah. it's like it, it's yeah, it's like uh, 
Yeah, it's like it's like the it's like the coffee stops here or something. It's some pun, you know. Yeah, it's know it's about. um, I believe it's like like uh, my house, my rules, my coffee is what it says. Robbie got uh, that for me. I love you, Robbie. I know you're listening to this. You listen to my. You actually listen to the podcasts, so thank you for that. And I and since you're listening, I love you and thank you for that mug. I I really cannot wait for Knives Out too. Oh my god, it's gonna be uh, just the the cast. Ugh. Is uh is even more stacked. Look, we got Catherine Hahn mm-hmm. in this movie. Dave Batista and Dave Batista and Leslie Odom Jr. We've won. We've won. Yeah, and of, and of course Daniel Craig coming back just with the best Southern. What were the What chewing. were the overheard Since... words from the child and it masturbating? Not the child masturbating in the bathroom. <laughs> I literally I was on what, YouTube. What, I was on what? YouTube, and the first video that popped up, I opened the app, and the first thing that popped up on my time on my feed was a video. It was a five second video that just said the greatest line ever, and it was just that line being spoken by Daniel Craig at I the think, end. I I think that's making the rounds again because I, it came across my feed as well. Whereas yeah, it's just what were the overhood words? The words. What were the words overhood? By the Nazi child, child masturbating in the bathroom. Masturbating in the bathroom. Look, Daniel Craig with that deep southern draw that is just like, it's like Joe Bang from Logan Lucky, but turned up to eleven. Um, it's it's incredible. Also, since we're already down the Daniel Craig rabbit hole, I have to we we have to talk about this because we didn't we haven't talked about this uh, because like you we- and I have recorded and had a meeting. Um, hmm. since I learned about this, like between I, my knowledge of what I'm about to talk about and now, uh, yeah. I feel like we have talked about this, but I have to, but I have to get this on air. I have to get this on air. Okay. Uh, so it was recently revealed by Daniel Craig that, or not really like in an interview, uh, the interviewer mentioned, uh, that there was a rumor that on the set of no time to die, he and Rami Malek shared a kiss and oh, Daniel, that a rumor Robbie Malik went on late night and talked about it yes and Daniel Craig said well I kiss all my leading men because you know it, it helps break the ice so after like we like cracked this really tough scene I picked Rami, Rami Malik up because he's a small guy and I just smooched him uh don't know who initiated it but one of us smooched the other and Rami just said so does this make me a bond girl and that story is very funny it is and it's cute but I want to focus on a, on, a, on a part of that of that quote. And when she says, I like I do that with all my leading men, he does that with all of his leading men. Daniel Craig most likely kissed Chris Evans on the set of Knives Out. Daniel Craig most likely kissed not just Channing Tatum, but also Adam Driver on the set of Logan Lucky. Daniel Craig most likely has kissed Chris, Christoph Waltz at least once. He most likely kissed Javier Bardem in Skyfall. Mads Mikkelsen in Casino Royale. Probably not, but I'm going to go ahead and say Christopher Plummer in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Stellan Skarsgård in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Liev Schreiber in Defiance. Who knows? Maybe even Tom Hanks. Is it Plummer also in Knives Out? Who? Is it Plummer also in Knives Out? He is in Knives Out, so they may have shared two smooches. I have no idea. All I'm saying is... Lakeith Stanfield. Lakeith Stanfield in, in Knives Out as well. 
maybe even Noah Segan. They have a couple scenes together. They had that really nice little moment uh, at, at the end when when Daniel Craig whispers something in Noah Segan's ear. I'm just like, was was that the moment? Was that was that the moment? All I'm saying is is that I need everyone to help me get cast in a leading role alongside Daniel Craig. I'm not exactly a man in the strictest of definitions, but let me have this. Yeah. Uh, yeah uh, hashtag. Yeah, I, I don't even know. Don't let JD know. kiss Daniel Craig. <laughs> no, yeah, let yeah, JD yeah. smooch yeah. Daniel Craig. There you go. I'm very tired after this week. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so anyway, back to the cat. So, the, you know, the boy discovers a cat uh, at that time. So bringing it back to where we, what we were originally talking about, Ursula Moncton shows up in the field. She's floating above the ground. The boy is scared to death. He doesn't know what's about to happen. And then the cat shows up. The cat that yep. he originally found in the field, the cat is there. And he picks the cat up and he's like, you know, like, doesn't, don't know what happens, but like, at least I have this, this furry child with me, essentially. And then a voice yep. pipes up and says like, hey, you're not supposed to get be off here. Our land. You're on my land. But, uh, no, yeah, yeah, specifically get off my land. And then she's just like, Ursula Moncton is very much a uh, uh, t- uh, childhood. It's like, I'm not on your land. I'm floating. Nah. Pretty much. <laughs> she's like, I don't. And, let, and Letty Hemsock, there she is. And she's like, I don't care. You're still on my land. And you're you're breaking the rules. You're Or you're breaking the laws. You're not supposed to be here. So Ursula eventually, like, fucks off. And Letty's like, you know, you're really lucky. About another 15 feet, or like another, like, 15 meters, and you would have been on another farm, been on another part of land. So she she then takes the boy back to her house. They give him a bath. They feed him. And they're like, okay. So, uh, we, like, we, like, you know, it, it's been established, um, that, that, uh, the Hemstock women can see what's going on out, outside of their home. Like, they can see, like, earlier it's established when old Mrs. Hemstock is, like, ta- like, saying, like, oh, the police are not going to find the note that's in the coat, that's in the coat pocket of the minor. Yeah. Because he, yeah. he left a Shame, note. he puts some, yeah. I, I just, well, I just remember that scene because I love it where it's like, shame. He puts such work into the words. Yeah. So they like they're no like okay, the parents like like the mom is home. The parents are going to be on their way soon. We like we're going like what are we going to do? How are we going to explain this? And Liddy just is like like you know cut and sew. Is that what like 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 right it's like basically essentially they take the nightgown that the boy was wearing when he came in. It, it is mostly dry, not quite, but it's mostly dry, which they see as kind of a problem. It's like it's better, like it's better to cut this when it's dry because there's less room for error because this is very delicate work. So they have to cut a section, they cut a section out of the, the nightgown and then sew the nightgown back up. Which, which means that they actually did a, a wibbly wobbly tiny wimey thing. And, and, rewrote time hmm maybe so Neil Gaiman should write some Doctor Who <laughs> I mean I'm not sure maybe 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 like an episode or two possibly a short story that will appear in a Doctor Who book and eventually appear in one of his collections 
I don't know. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, there was that one. Yeah, who can say? Who can say? Yeah, I mean, he's, I mean, he is a, he is a, a British man that was born in 1960, so it, uh, he's a Doctor Who fan. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, what's, like, why, why we have been yelling, like, let Grant Morrison be the, be the showrunner in Doctor Who. Russell T. Davies is cool to bring back, but, like, come on, Morrison. See, I don't, I'm not entirely sure if the world is ready for for Grant Morrison taking a crack at Doctor Who. Just the ethereal existential insanity that would come out of their mind. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It just it would it like I'm pretty sure. Look, here's the thing. Just the announcement of that would set some people's brains on fire mine included we just be like no this is like we're supposed to be in the bad timeline this is we're not supposed to get cool things like this we're not supposed to get the announcement that grant morrison is the showrunner in doctor who that is not possible the fact that russell t davies is back as a showrunner that's like okay i mean we're like we're still kind of in the bad timeline but this is but this is like a silver lining in the bad time within the bad timeline like, it's like, like, we had this yeah. one good thing. At least, thank God. Have I been watching Doctor Who? No, I haven't. I said I was going to, but I didn't. But you know what? Instead, <laughs> you know what I did instead? You want to know what I did instead? Instead, I was reading Neverwhere. You did not. No, no, no. You did also did not. Uh, Catch him on listeners, Doom Patrol like I was supposed I, to. I, yeah. Yeah. Listeners, we, we told you <laughs> to keep him. <laughs> we told you to keep JD to his word. He has broken it. With Doom Patrol, we must we must rectify nothing. this at the hell out of. I regret nothing. At the hell out of him on Twitter. I just regret nothing. I read comics these past few days. I regret nothing. So is we're getting to the to the end of this episode here. We got a, a decent amount of. Not necessarily story, but theme to crack into. Yeah. So, so the Hensocks sew the um, snip out of time the moment where he drowned, uh, where he got drowned. So technically it never happened, but uh, he remembers it as well as, of course, the Hensocks do. Uh, they try to figure out, like, okay, well, you know, like, what, what, like, what are we going to do? We need to get rid of her. Um, before the varmints show up. Yeah, because so, like, uh, old Mrs. Himstock is her. like, she's she's a flea. I'm not worried about her. It's the varmints that, like, will take the flea back that I'm worried about. So he's, so the boy sleeps at the, ha- at the Himstock home. In the morning, Letty and the boy, uh, they have breakfast. They go back to the house, and they... I, I just... Is, I'm, I'm, jump, I'm, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. Uh, so when we do see the varmints eventually, they kind of eat time and space. Mm-hmm. And timeline-wise, I just realized this motherfucker stole these things from a Christopher Eccleston episode of Doctor Who, where the cleaners show up when the companion of the time, Rose, ends up holding her baby self. It breaks time, so the cleaners show up and start 
eating things. Okay, so that's an episode that I haven't gotten to yet. Or or is that the episode where uh Father's Day. Oh, Father's Day. So I'm actually in the middle of that episode. I haven't finished that episode. Well, spoilers for about (laughs) spoilers for the last twenty minutes of that episode that I still have to watch. Like I like I stopped that episode and then I was like I don't know if I can watch this like this is get this is get this is a lot already, um and then I just never got back to it and and but here's the thing, now I'm on this podcast talking about Neil Gaiman and I kind of have to finish it. Yeah, it's. Will I what like look? Will I skip the tenth Doctor just so I can get to the Matt Smith episodes and 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 watch the Neil Gaiman episodes? Maybe. Will I actually skip the tenth Doctor? Probably not. Well, yeah, yeah, but yeah, eventually. Because I do want to watch. There's a. I do want to watch. I want to watch Tenant. There's well, and also the thing is, this with with Doctor Who, it's a, it like it's a it's a show where you. You don't need to watch every Doctor. Like every Doctor is like kind of like its own series in and of itself. Well, I wouldn't even say its own series. I would say. Kind of like a comic creative team, where it's like, ah, you know, like personally, I didn't like uh, this one, but this creative team, you know, really hit it out of the park, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there's, there's always something for someone who likes the core idea. Yeah. If you don't like the core idea, then don't interact you're not, with you're it. Like it. Yeah, you're not gonna like. You're not gonna like anything. Yeah. But the. The show, like the Doctor, when it re when it regenerates, quote unquote, with a new creative team, it so the way the Doctor's regenerations are described is, of course, they're the same person, but the personality dials get shuffled, mm-hmm. and so that's kind of also what happens to the show. So, like the Matt Smith one's very fairy tale. Um, you kind of have a spy thing going on with the third one. This, uh, goofy rogue, this goofy lovable rogue for the fourth, and this this hands this handsome adventurer for the fifth, like, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's just always kind of a reshuffling. Yeah. So, so anyway, back to back he, to oceans. Like he, like Letty went out in the morning and she got these items, uh, to, to help with getting with getting rid of Ursula. So essentially, they go back to the house. Uh, they kind of just ignore the sister. Like, she's there. The parents are gone. The sister's just like, uh, so, like, something happened last night, and I don't know what, but, I, but like, no, but like something doesn't feel right, and they just ignore her. And yeah. they take uh, these items, which are, like, like are essentially, like, broken toys, and they uh, are creating breadcrumbs that Ursula will, will eventually follow. So, like, they, like, put, like, one on each step of the stair. And yeah, it's well. I think it's a. I think it's a, a like a fence or like a like a tunnel. Essentially, she's building, but it's yeah. It's all broken limbs mainly, or like a broken, uh, a, like a, a fire truck with a broken axle. Yeah, it's like all these toys like, that are like it, slightly damaged. Well, specifically to where they can't move. Yes, like if they were real, they couldn't move. Right. So then they get up to the stairs, and Ursula is naked and and i think like the boy even says like this is the first time i ever saw like a person who is not (laughs) a person who is not a family member naked 
Like, okay, cool. Uh, you set that up. Don't act like you did it. <laughs> Look, you said it, not me. So there is a. Hmm. He saw boobies. <laughs> so this uh, this kind of starts the final count, the the final showdown. The final um, countdown. Yeah, well, I mean, it is the final countdown to when the cleaners show up. So, no, or essentially crows. I think that like, like, like it's mentioned that they well, look like crows. Dis- they're, 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 well, they look like dis- crows. That's the closest thing that yeah. he can like 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 put words to. Yeah, like essentially like just like a murder of crows. Show, up. but mm. Ursula is like because uh, basically it's like okay, no, uh, Lady gets her not like two options. Like basically it's like either you get in this jar and I send you home, or which the which the jar is the tunnel that she left in his foot. Yes. Uh, so I and and that's why that's why the boy is still alive, uh, mm. is because she is, like like he is like her his, like her tether to this world. So it's like either you get in this jar and I send you home, or I call upon the varmints and they will and they will like rip you to shreds. Right. And it's like, oh, you don't even know my actual name. And then Letty says her name. Yeah. And and that's like, and and the boy says that was the moment, and like it was in that moment when she said the name, Ursula was afraid. So like Ursula, like she like tight, like she has like something, uh, some like fabric, attack the boy and like tie him up and start to asf- and like totally like almost like wrap him up like a mummy, and like yeah. start to suffocate him. Which- which he eventually like stops. So like at first he like tries to struggle, but then eventually he's like, "Well, this is happening." And just stops. Yeah, and, and also he over. realizes that whenever like he does struggle, it just keeps getting tighter and tighter. So he's like, "If I stop, eventually this yeah. won't hurt anymore." In 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 more right. ways than one. Uh, so he so she, but she but like when he gets unwrapped by Letty, he realizes that Ursula's gone. She left. She went down the stairs. She went exa- down the exact path that. She laid as they go down the stairs. He notices that like she tipped over one of the toys and there's just a white space. Like it looks like that, like some that like this, like the stair was up, was a piece of paper and it got ripped. And he thinks yeah, like, like, oh, a, it's like, oh, like something is wrong. Like with like time yeah. and space. Well, like, like a, well, the way I imagined it in my head, it's like a hole in an animation. cell. yeah, that's what I was thinking too. And then like, they get outside you know, they're, you know, Ursula's getting angry, but she's also scared, and, and Lily's still trying to, like, pacify her, and they like, just get in the jar and go home, or you're gonna get ripped to shreds by the varmints. Because it's like, my grandmother's not, it's like, my grandmother's not as scared of you. She calls you fleas. Like, you know, you have your, like, you have your, your purpose, and you get all pumped up and, and whatever. It's the varmints that she's scared it's, of. It's the varmints insulting that... Insulting this... Yeah, just insulting also, her while also, like, trying to calm her down and get her and get her on her way in the least in the least well, worst insult- way yeah she's insulting her where she's like uh while yeah trying to convince her like to to do what she wants it's just like you're just adding insult to injury because like ursula's already scared like she knows these things mm-hmm. are coming yeah but that's also where so to, so to kind of wrap up that's also where letty uh fucks up where she this is the first time that the cleaners have been summoned and not just kind of 
naturally come through sensing the flea's shenanigans. Yeah. So way more than usual will show up. Uh, The piece of the tunnel that is still inside the narrator, they want to consume because they're like, well, we're cleaners. We've, you know, cleaned Ursula. She's gone. Um, So we need to do everything, uh, including this boy's heart. So they they do kill him. Yeah. Uh they actually they actually do kill him, but the well they do the stitching they do the stitching trick where he doesn't get eaten and Letty throws herself in Well, no, that's way later because we also haven't mentioned no, because if no, first she takes him to the fairy the the fairy circle. Well, the fairies, the fairy circle is when they're waiting for. Well, the, yeah. In terms of that, there, there's a lot of character work there. I'm trying to move this along. Yeah, it's, no. This is, they get to the fairy yeah, circle. Very they keep trying to get him out. They don't, and eventually, Letty comes back, and she has a bucket of water, which is actually the ocean, the entire like the pond, but it's actually an ocean. He gets in, and that enables him to travel into the ocean that is behind that behind the the Hemstock house. The cleaners show up and uh they attack him, but before they can get to him, Letty essentially tackles him herself, gets on top, and they come for her. And they kill her. Well yeah, this is this is after there there's a, there's some stuff out of order because there there is the scene where he goes into the bucket and then she takes him back to the Hemstock farm that way. But yeah, the main thing is eventually he does get eaten technically until apparently they they restitch time again and Letty throws him throws herself in uh in his in his in path front of him. Uh Ginny Hemstock then grabs her you know grabs Letty's now body. Well, because old Mrs. Hemstock kind of shows up and yeah, she's asleep. Kind of like like this, like we on... like like we would get her and and this would be taken care of. But when she goes to sleep, we yeah. can't really wake her up. Well, she wakes up her on her own, and the varmints, yeah. the the cleaners, are terrified of her. And she she just comes out and she's like, "How dare you!" Yeah, well, it's so like he kind of sees the neighbor kind of sees her her real form, which is like a. So, like, when the it, Ursula is described as, like, this gray, rotted thing of, of, uh, of cloth, mm-hmm. the uh, old Mrs. Hemstock is, like, this bright, silken, pink, glowing cloth, mm-hmm. like, this beautiful sheet. And so, yeah, like, she... she Pulls rank, kind of like you know. Do you, do you whipper? At first, she's at first she's like you whippersnappers, but then goes into the like you know like I oh, did by the such and such laws and the like you know get the hell out of here. And they do. Yeah, they do. They get gone. Uh, but but Letty is a uh, she heart. Yeah, and so she's put into the ocean where then the cover story that he remembers for the rest of his life is she went to Australia <laughs> to go see, to go be with her father which we forgot to mention also just a, a small little quick bit um he does ask like where are all the men like where like are there hemstuck men it's like oh like men are men are useless like you know 
they're they're good to have around if you like you want to have a child like if you like need um but it's like you don't like like you don't need to have a child with a man uh there are other ways like to, for for us to appear but it's it's always been us it's always been the it's always been the hemstock women who are here to take care of things and get the job yeah, done work the homestead yep and uh but yeah so and like cuz letty is like she is dead in a way but she's not really dead they they say that she really like in a way she's like in a way for him to kind of understand she's essentially asleep and she will be asleep for a long time but eventually she could come back they just don't know when yeah yeah cuz they give her to the ocean essentially for repairs and they yeah they say we don't know when so that we so at this point we essentially flash forward but the right before we flash forward you kind of see finally the boy's memory being rewritten to the story that the hemstocks have been telling. Like, all right, here's the cover story. And then like, he's, it's like, he's starting to walk back home and he's like, yeah, that was a good goodbye party. Wasn't it? Yeah. Um, Cause it, cause then you, her- cause you, then it's revealed through all of this that he's actually been back before. This is not his yeah. first time well, seeing them again, seeing them since, he was seven years old. He's been back yeah. multiple times, but they yeah, always wait. they always take it out of his mind again. They always they always stitch it out of his mind because they felt that it was just easier for him to deal with, uh, to have him not deal with with everything to remember everything. So they continue to to take it out of his mind. It's only I think I think this is maybe only like the like the second or third time he's been back. Um, but he yeah, has been back before. Uh, but yeah, because specifically, it's like, um, yeah, like you always do, she repeated. No, so you're wrong. I mean, I haven't been here since, well, Letty went to Australia, her going away party, which never happened. You come back sometimes, and this is where the autobiography picks up again. You were here once when you were 24, I remember. You had two young children, and you were so scared. You came here before you left this part, where you, before you left this part of the world. You were, what, in your 30s then? I fed you a good meal in the kitchen, and you told me about your dreams and the art you were making. Um, I don't remember. She pushed the hair from her eyes. It's easier that way. Oh, and then, so, to kind of wrap things up in terms of things with the hemstocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, why did I come here? Well, Letty wanted you to, said somebody. And then that's, because he's been talking to old Mrs. Hemstock. She sat down on the bench on the other side of me, so I was flanked by hipstock women. She said, I think Letty wants you to know it, wants to know if it was worth it. If what was worth it? You, said the old woman tartly. Letty did a very big thing for you, said Jenny. I think she mostly wants to find out what happened next, and whether it was worth everything she did. She sacrificed herself for me. After a fashion, dear... The hunger birds tore out your heart. You screamed so so piteously as you died. She couldn't abide that. She had to do something. I tried to remember this. This isn't how I remember it, I thought about my heart then. Wondered if there was a cold fragment of a doorway inside it still. And if it was a gift or a curse if there was. The old lady sniffed. Didn't I just say you'll never get any two people to remember anything the same? (laughs) So it... Gaiman's other work, and he kind of states this, and I think this is the last part of his um, kind of statement to 
to Amanda is the weirdness and isolation of he feels as a as a writer there is a a disconnect that he's trying to fill but by the medium he has chosen he then feels disconnected to a certain extent mm-hmm. um we we talked about it a little bit in the last episode talking about the way he uh, will eventually see how he uses um shakespeare and and talks about it where there's this oddness of as a writer of logging life experiences away and so there's this like like you're like you're an omniscient narrator for your entire life mm-hmm. uh and so i think that's what he is kind of trying to explain to amanda there's this kind of weirdness because he uh in the epilogue which is where we're at now um he the the narrator is talking about yeah like he's like i think i've grown a new heart like since the hunger birds ate it and just kind of given like yeah like a, a metaphysical like trying to to fill something that he doesn't quite understand why it's there or how exactly to fill it and that he you know hopes that the the creation that he's done has helped him has helped him fill it some yeah I have a question for you, and this is something I've been thinking about. Uh, at one point in the story, uh, the boy asks if they're witches, and they say, "Witches? Pfft, we're not witches." I have, I, I want to ask you: Do you believe the hemstocks are witches? Uh no, I like I don't. So like I I think that's a little bit too simplistic of a uh, of a term maybe for them because you well, kind of because um, again like because we. We technically saw them. Yeah, and, they're technically uh, the maiden and the mother of the crone. And and, and as you yeah. mentioned, the three one, essentially they are actually one entity. So you could mm. see so almost it's almost like, like like Letty can't die because that is like a part of them. So it's like a part of them is 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 hurt and gone, but will come back. See, I I kind of view them as witches in a way. Uh, because the thing is with the term witch, it it does have this baggage. But the thing is, is that the term witch is a very broad term, and I believe like what they do kind of falls under the the umbrella term of witch. Yeah, it's. I mean, well, yeah, I think that's the key part is the is the umbrella part because like the when they when she describes like why they don't consider themselves witches where it's like well we don't do spells because spells do this but we like essentially like their manipulation for what they do is different than what witches do except that like any like which again like as like i mentioned is a is an umbrella term so like what they are doing i still consider like in a way it is a type of witchcraft it is a type Mm -hmm. of sorcery so therefore, I do see them as uh, them as a witch. I should say I should say witch singular, since they are technically one entity. Uh, yeah. But with, like they are the three in one. So I just wanted to ask and ask and ask your opinion on that, because I've been thinking I've been thinking about it ever since I, uh, I I've I've now read this twice. I read it initially about like a month ago. Um, might have been probably earlier than that actually at this point, but uh. I, I, I recently like reread it by listening to the audiobook read by Gaiman, which I highly recommend everyone do. It's only six hours, 
Um, and also mm-hmm. if you get, if you get it through audible, I believe there is like, like I, I, I don't know if it's through everything, but I know definitely through audible the way I got it. Um, at the very end, there is like a half hour interview with Gaiman about ocean at the end of the lane. It's like an excerpt from a podcast that he was on where he just talks about ocean and it's, it's a lovely, it's a lovely little bit to, to listen to after you've read a, a, a beautiful little novel. So, um, before we leave, I want to, I want to mention one thing. I want to, I want to get into something yeah. that, I've, that I, that I teased. Uh, so I've been thinking a lot about how this could be made into a movie because oh, yep, yep. a lot of his work has been adapted. You know, we've got the Good Omens TV show with the second season coming as the sequel to the original novel. American Gods is a television series. Neverwhere has a miniseries. Anansi Boys is is getting a miniseries. Stardust and Coraline have novels. Uh, I feel like the Graveyard Book will eventually get an adaptation at some point, but has not. If anyone should do it, it should probably be like Kia again. But I don't know if they would because it's... But no, so here, here's, here's the vibes. The vibes are similar to um, Graveyard Book. I agree with you that it should be adapted, but um, no. But I, I know, I know who exactly will should make the Ocean of the Indolene, and it should be no one else. I know exactly who should make it. Mm-hmm. It should be David Lowry. David Lowry, for those of you who don't know, is the writer and director behind Anthem Body Saints, Pete's Dragon, A Ghost Story, The Old Man of the Gun, and this year's The Green Knight. As well as next year's upcoming Peter Pan and Wendy, so there, so there's reason one why he should make the movie. First of all, he has a beautiful track record of awesome movies. Peace Dragon will make you cry so fucking hard. It is a masterpiece. This, it is this, almost uh, my favorite Lowry movie. I'm sorry. This is the remake. Yes, the only good live action Disney remake. It is perfect and beautiful in every way, and I love it. I just love the Green Knight just a smidge more. So that's reason one. N- reason number two, we talk about here on how ha- on like how Neil Gaiman's write like essentially he is every story he writes is a fairy tale. Stardust yeah. is a, Stardust is a fairy tale. Coraline is a fairy tale. Uh, the Sandman is a very long form fairy tale. And reading the ocean at the end of the lane, this feels like a fairy tale. Mm. And David Lowry makes fairy tales all of his movies they are fairy tales um he i i learned that when he was making anthem body saints his first feature he said i want to make a fairy tale western and that's what it feels like it feels like him taking the arc the like bonnie and clyde archetype and 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 you know pushing it forward into into a folk tale and 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 like and I feel like that's more of what he does because he is coming at it from more of an American perspective. Is that is that his his stories are more folk tales than fairy tale, um, but they are essentially the same the same thing. They're they're like, they're like kind of like cousins. So that's why I believe David Lowry should make the ocean at the end of the lane. It would be perfect. And do you know? And there's only one person you cast as Ursula Moncton. And that is Elizabeth Debicki. Uh, what would I know her from? The Man from Uncle, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, Widows. Uh, she was recently in Tenant. She's tall. She tall. Repeat what you. What she was the is, high priestess I... in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Oh, that's okay. okay. And she's tall, and she is elegant, and she is gorgeous, and 
it's great when she just gets to be tall in a movie because a lot of people for some a lot of filmmakers for some reason want to hide her height no you let that gorgeous goddess be fucking tall and one of the features that Ursula Moncton has is that she is like abnormally tall like even to a even to this boy she's like she's tall and like taller than other adult other grown-ups and yeah. that's Elizabeth Debicki and she could do it so fucking well. So all I'm saying yeah. is I will not rest until David Lowry makes the ocean at the end of the lane into a film. And if it doesn't happen, I will die unhappy. <laughs> uh, well, on that, uh, threat, <laughs> I guess. Very threat, but like a threat against yourself. I, I don't know. <laughs> no, it's a threat. It's a threat against any studio get that, that gets the film rights to this book. Mm. If you don't, if David Lowry does not sign well, on to did, make it, then therefore it shouldn't be made. Uh, well, it did get put on the. It got put on the stage a, as a play. Yeah, as a play, and uh, which Neil Gaiman is apparently stand. very happy about. He was very, he was very happy about how they how they adapted it. Uh, so that wraps up everything here. It does. Um, it wraps it up with me threatening film studios. <laughs> like it should, like every episode yeah. should end now. Mm-hmm. Um, so Angela, what is it that we have going on in the next episode? Uh, oh, the, the next episode. I might have us somewhere else with that, that lead in. Um, shit. What is this? <laughs> Uh, I'm literally oh, holding uh, it in my Eternals, hand right now. Right? <laughs> oh, I've had a different screen. Yes, Eternals. Uh, I'm super excited about this one. So we're dropping uh, this yeah. on the day of the film release. It yes. just it just so, worked out that way that we ha- yeah. that we're supposed to drop an episode on the same day as Chloe Chloe Zhao's Eternals film. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, well, we're uh, well, we're uh, you know. Gotta, gotta get that sweet, sweet algorithm. Sure. Um, but yeah, so uh, Neil Gaiman did a one of the runs, or one of the major runs for Eternals. Yeah, he did, uh, like, like honestly, I feel like there are only three, like, major, major runs. There was, the like, the original Jack Kirby run, uh, Neil Gaiman's run from the early, early aughts with John Romita Jr., which we'll be discussing, and the current Kieran Gillen, Asad Rabik run. Which I haven't read any of, but but you have, and I've heard it's very very it's, good. Yeah, it's about um, the first arc just wrapped, and they're kind of geared up for the second one. And yeah, it's um, it is it is it is. I don't great. doubt it. Kieran Gillen is a, a very, is a fantastic writer. Very odd, very odd concept. Just pure Kirby. So we'll uh, yeah, we'll def- It's I'm definitely excited to dig into that. And all of its uh, implications. Yeah. So. Anytime I get to talk about Kirby as well as Neil Gaiman. Oh yeah. In the same podcast. This is just built. This episode was just built for you. Uh. So see you Friday. You see you folks Friday after next. Bye. Poor Lisa. Did it never occur to her that there might be three flash drives? I've heisted my way to the bestseller list once again, and the most brilliant part is. I don't even know how to read. 
Thank you to my big brother, Sean Bullock, for our theme. You can check out his work at seanbullock.com. And the wonderful Nikki Burger for our logo, who you can find on Twitter at DoubleBurger and on Instagram at DoubleBurgerComics. For updates, sharing your thoughts, or if you just want to yell at us, check out the show on Twitter and Instagram at F&RPod. And you can find me on Twitter at JD underscore Martin underscore. And you can check me out on Twitter at BullockBits, where you can find info to my comics, history Instagram, and cat Instagram. And come hang out with us on the show's Discord. Check out the links to everything in the episode's description. Including our wonderful guest info. Whoever that may be. Below. That's good. Can you believe we've been friends for seven years? And it all started because I compared you to Alana the Lioness. Tamara Pierce really set the tone of our friendship. A love of magic. Briar Moss. Fantasy. Briar Moss. Powerful women. And of course, Briar Moss. Moss. I'm Anna. And I'm MJ. And we invite you to join our circle of friendship. Where we do a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Circle of Magic series by Tamara Pierce. We answer important questions like, how does Moonstream let certain dedicates take care of children? Can you imagine anyone else but Mandy Patinkin playing Nico? Knives, Briar. And Knives! Join us every other Monday at cofpodcast.libsyn.com or wherever you download podcasts. But seriously, Knives... CPOV CertainPOV.com